Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cryo Malt, this is Beer as a Conversation. This is part two of my conversation with Terry Farendorf, and we learn about the almost accidental origins of the Pink Boot Society, what it stands for, and what it is doing to assist, inspire, and encourage women beer professionals through education. Enjoy the continued conversation. At what stage of your career uh, did you start thinking of this idea of pink boots? That was a very specific pointed time. Uh, That was June 16th, 2007, shall we say? And and, and why do you pin it to that specific date? What happened on that date that led to that uh, decision? Well, first of all, most of the time, 99% of the time in the first uh, 19 years of my brewing career, I was the only woman at the table. But I had no problem with that. I was an oldest child. I'm kind of bossy, I suppose, anyway. So I'm not a shrinking violent because I was an oldest child. And maybe I'm tomboy enough or something. Most of my friends have always been men all my whole life. So I have no problems with that. And um, it's interesting because now that I've started Pink Boot Society and I've really learned through experience uh, women's um, uh, communication patterns with how they speak and men's communication patterns. I believe that I was raised in a male communication pattern household and that both my mother and father have a male communication pattern. And so I could fit it very easily in a group of men. And so because of these things and being just enough of a tomboy, I never really noticed that there weren't very many women in the beer industry. It was just like me and my mates, you know, my, my brewing friends. And, um, you know, a few women would come into the beer industry. Some of them, after a couple of years, would leave and go do some other career. I never thought much about it. Um, and, and it never really occurred to me that there should be more or anything. None of that. But then, after 17 years at Steelhead and having been a brewmaster for 19 years, I was ready for a break. And so I quit that job. And it was interesting because... Um, as I was giving, I gave like a month notice or so. And during that month, I thought, you know, I'm not ready to fall in love with another brewery um, like I had been with Steelhead. I thought, I, I want to do something different. And so I thought, gee, I have all these peers in the beer industry who I've known over the years. And, um, you know, I've met them at conferences like this and at beer festivals. And I've tasted their beer at beer festivals. Now, our beers are our children. So are those kids behaving when they're away from home or not? Maybe it would be fun to go and visit these breweries at these my brewing friends at their breweries, maybe even brew with them. So I suggested that to my husband, who's also a brewmaster by trade. And he said, he said yes, that'd be perfect for you. You should do that. So... Um, I went on this road trip after I left, and it was 139 days long, which is almost five months. And it was, what was it? I don't remember, 5,000 miles? It was a long ways. And I went across the United States, and I went back, and um, I visited um, uh, 71 breweries. I brewed at 38 of them. I distilled at three distilleries or something like that, and I blogged the whole thing at roadbrewer.com. But when I left my job, I had an identity crisis, and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to go visit all these breweries, and I'm, what a, hi, what do you do? Oh, I used to be a brewmaster, and I, knew, I just had this identity crisis. So I thought, I'm going to give myself a title. 
I'll be the road brewer. So I did. I became the road brewer, and I blogged this trip at roadbrewer.com. And so I'm setting up my trip, and I'm connecting the dots across the U.S. Oh, here's a friend at this brewery, and I want to brew with that person, and I want to brew with this person. I'm connecting the dots, and they're mostly all men because that's what it always was, right? So I'm connecting all these dots, but I would have stretches, and the U.S. is pretty big, where there I didn't have any friends. So we had this forum called the Brewers Association Forum, where brewers and other beer professionals would post questions, and then other people would answer the questions. So I posted on that online. Um, I said, hi, I'm going on this road trip. If, if you want me to visit your brewery, drop me an email, and I will connect the dots and try to fit you in. So brewers who I'd never met um, were inviting me to come and visit them. And so I'm fitting them in. And what it turned out is that a lot of those breweries that were inviting me, who, had, who I'd never met and they'd never met me, they had young women brewing for them. And they invited me because I was an experienced woman brewer. But I didn't know that that was their objective. So one of the first ones, young women that I met on my trip, was Laura Ulrich at Stone Brewing. And that was, um, I have a friend at Stone Brewing, uh, that was Mitch Steele, who wrote the IPA book, and he was the brewmaster there at the time. But my schedule worked out that I was going to be there on a Saturday, and so Mitch said, you'll be brewing with Laura. Laura? I didn't know there was a Laura at Stone. There's a woman at Stone? Wow, this is going to be cool. So I went there, and I'm brewing with Laura, and she was like, oh, my gosh, Terry, I thought I was the only woman brewer, and now I met you, and I thought I had a pretty cool job you've been a brewmaster for 19 years and you could just see the gears clicking that this was really a career model um, that that she could emulate because sometimes we need to see role models. Like I saw Melly Pullman get up on the stage at the Great American Beer Festival in 1988 and win a medal and I said, she's about my side. If she can do that job physically, so can I. So Laura is looking at me with those kinds of ideas saying, wow, she's been a brewmaster and has been brewing for 19 years. This is more than a cool job. I could really make a career out of this. So anyway, I brewed with Laura that day, and at the end of the day, she said, what are you doing for dinner tonight? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm camping in your parking lot in my caravan. Uh, I have a van and a caravan. And um, I said, I'll be having a granola bar for dinner because I'm unemployed. And she <laughs> said, no, I'm going to buy you dinner at our Stone Bistro. And so I said, that'd be wonderful. So we had dinner together, and I felt very clearly that she really needed to network or connect. I really felt like I wanted to mentor her. So my mother duck wings came out and I just, you know, wanted to take that on. And she said, Terry, how many you, she said, she said, Terry, you tell me there are other women brewers. How many of us are there? And I said, I don't know. I'm going on this road trip. This is toward the beginning of the road trip. I said, I'm going on this road trip. I will try to find out. So all during this trip, I'm asking people, do you know of any women brewers? And I'd write down the name or something. And sometimes it would be kind of obscure. Do you know of any women brewers? Yeah, there's one in Indiana. Do you know her name? No. <laughs> woman brewer, Indiana, goes on my list. I get closer. Do you know of any women brewers? Yeah, there's one in Bloomington, Bloomington Indiana. Oh, I got a city now. Bloomington, Indiana. Do you know her name? No. I get closer. I find out the name. It's Eileen Martin. Great. So I keep making all these notes. And meanwhile, I'm visiting these breweries and I'm meeting these young women brewers that I didn't even know existed and they didn't know I existed at all. 
I get out to Pennsylvania. I meet another woman brewer named Whitney. Same thing as with Laura. I thought I was the only one. I can't believe it. Here you've been a brewmaster for 19 years. What are you doing tonight for dinner? Oh, I'm going to be camping in your parking lot and I'll be having a granola bar because I'm unemployed. She said, no, I'm taking you out for dinner and I have the boss's credit card. (laughs) And I said, great. So same kind of thing, same questions. Wow, you tell me there's other women brewers. How many of us are there? And I said, I was so excited. I said, I have an answer. There's 60 of us. I've got 60 on this list. And she said, who are they? I want to know. I want to network. I want to talk to them. And I'm like, oh, is this where this is going? So by this time in my trip, I had built a website because I met people and I'd say, wow, you really need my 1993 article on grain handling. I'll build a website and I'll post it up, check in a few weeks. So I'd built this website. I'd uploaded all the articles I'd ever had published, new articles I was that I was discovered that I felt like people needed. So I'm, I mean, some of the people had more experience than I did that I brewed with, but some of them had less experience. And some of the things that I took for granted that I thought were just common sense that everybody knew were apparently things that I had learned and forgotten that I'd learned them because I'd known them for so long. So I started writing those kinds of articles too. And that's all up at my website at terryfarendorf.com. So at any rate, so I told Whitney I would put the list of names and whatever I knew, whatever information I had, like where they were um, located, where their breweries were, the city, whatever I knew up there. I mean, not contact information, but at least the names and the cities and the breweries. So I'm putting, t- I'm in my, my, my camper, my caravan, and, I, and I'm typing up this list on my laptop. And it says list of women brewers at the top. And then here's all these names and the information. And I thought, list of women brewers is such a boring thing to call this. I thought, you know, I've been on this trip. I've been wearing, I I can tell you the story about the pink. (laughs) But um, uh, I was wearing these pink, flashy pink fashion rain boots that my mother-in-law had got me on this trip. uh, Because I had sort of been uh, teased into it. Because I had wore black boots my whole career. But here I was, and I'm wearing these pink boots because the people on the, the trip seemed to have wanted me to wear the pink boots. So I had started calling it the Pink Boots Tour by then, my Pink Boots Tour. And I had renamed myself the Road Brewer because I was no longer a brewmaster anymore because I wasn't employed. And I thought, well, we need a, I need a name, something like a sound bite, something snazzy. And so I thought, well, I'm on the my Pink Boots tour, and there's those little old ladies that like the party called the Red Hat Society. So I just wrote Pink Boots Society above list of women brewers, and I posted it up on my website. Then I started getting emails. Hi, I'm a woman packaging manager, and I'm at Bell's Brewing Company. Can I join? I didn't know it was something you could join. Now, hi, I'm a... I'm a woman beer writer. Can I join? Hi, I'm the I'm the lab technician at Ska Brewing. Can I join? And I'm like, I didn't know it was something you could join. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. It's just a list of women brewers, but I'll save your email. Thanks. And so, um, so that date that you asked about, June 16th, 2007, that was the date that Laura and I worked together and had dinner that she asked me to find out how many women brewers there were. So that's the date. It sounds like it was a movable feast or it was an evolving concept. It was a, it was a oh, list of names to start with. very much evolving. I started getting emails from bloggers, male bloggers, saying this is the coolest thing I ever heard of. I have a daughter, so I'm so excited. I didn't know there were any women brewers. And here's this list, your list of 60 women brewers. So it started, you know, getting some online 
attention. Um, I'm going to repost your list. I'm going to link to your list, things like that. So I got back from my trip after the 139 days. And at that point, my husband had taken a new job in Portland. So we moved from Eugene, Oregon to Portland, Oregon. And I started working on this, trying to gather all the information that I had. And I realized that the Crap Brewers Conference in the U.S. was going to be happening that spring, spring, that's April of 2008, in San Diego, where Laura Ulrich, that, brewer, that first woman brewer that I met up with that stone. So I called Laura and I said, hey, do you think we should have like a meeting of the ladies on the list? She's like, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, she said, I'll, I'll set up a luncheon. I go, that'd be fun. We'll ask the members to bring their beers and they could taste each other's beers. Oh, that'd be fun. We've never had each other's beers. And I thought, this is really going to be historic. There's never been a time in the beer industry with, with just women brewers in the room. And now Pink Boot Society is all women who earn income from beer. But at the time, it was just a list of women brewers. It wasn't a thing yet. And so I thought, I'm going to contact all the women beer writers that had contacted me and invite them to come. And then I was getting contacted by the, the male beer journalists like Tom Doldorf, who owns The Celebrator. He's the publisher of The Celebrator. Can I come and cover it? Because they knew it was historic, too. And I said, no, send a woman. I said, we don't know what it feels like to have a room full of, basically a room full of women and estrogen in the beer industry. And we need to learn what that feels like. So we had 60 women brewers attend and six women beer writers. And everyone's chatting, talking, and enjoying each other's beers and really having a great time. And I called the room to attention. Ladies, um, we're going to do some voting. Oh, okay. What's that about? And I said, first of all, do you want to be an online list or do you want to be an organization or what do you want? I mean, what? this isn't my club. This is all of us. What do you guys want? And we had a bit of a discussion and they decided to be an organization. I said, I don't know what that means. Sounds like more work. I might need some help. But okay, <laughs> we're going to be an organization. I said, second order of business. Who are we? And they said, well, Terry, look around. We're women brewers. I said, look again. There are six women beer writers in this room, and they have all asked to join. And, um, and so there was a lot of discussion. Are we craft brewers only or big brewers? Are we brewers only? Uh, can you be in packaging and in the lab? Um, what about the beer writers? I mean, what, what about men? Can we have men be members? Um, so... With a lot of discussion, we determined that if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. We also determined that we stand for three things. Women, beer, professionals. Now we have two transgender members, and they are welcome. They identify as women. They look like women. You would hardly know. Actually, you might know, but I, I wouldn't necessarily know. And that's awesome. Uh, beer. So we have had... Women's uh, distillers, kombucha makers, winemakers, cider makers have all asked us, can we join Pink Boot Society? The answer is no. Um, unless they come with their own volunteers and their own funding, we can't take it on. We are 99.999% volunteer run, and we have scholarship programs and all sorts of other things. And if we start diluting that with wine scholarships and things like that, our core membership would feel abandoned. So... We, we can't do that. And then professionals, because civilization was built on the backs of women volunteers. And so I felt it was really important that we, that we get paid. 
Um, this is a male-dominated industry. There are plenty of women that volunteer in this industry, but if you want to be a member of Pink Boot Society, you need to earn 25% of your income from beer. So um, unless you're a brewery owner or an owner, because then we know you probably don't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you said what uh, Pink Boot stands for, uh, who, who, who was, it, it was for. What does it stand for? What does it? What, what's its mission? What's it aiming to achieve? Is it a an industry networking body, or is it a lobbying advocacy body? Um, how how is and has that mission evolved as it's gone on? Well, that's a great question. So we had such a success with that first meeting in San Diego that I said, "Ladies, do you want to have another meeting um, in six months during the Great American Beer Festival?" They said, "Absolutely, yes." So I had six months to think about what does it mean to be an organization. And I really thought about that. I, I called it the thinking couch. I would lie on the couch and just think about it. And I thought, you know, if we just get together and have a party every year, it's going to fall apart because it's not going to have enough meaning. And so I thought, we need a purpose that's bigger than any one of us individually. We need to have a purpose that is big, bigger than all of us. And I thought, um, okay, what does that mean? As we spoke about earlier, you know, during interviews, you make it to sense some people are prejudiced against women or something. I don't dwell on that. Pink Boots does not dwell on that. We are not anti-men. We are pro-women. So what if there's a woman who's an assistant brewer and wants to become a head brewer or a brewmaster, but she doesn't know how to break through that ceiling? That's not a gender-based ceil glass ceiling. That's an education-based glass ceiling. A lot of brewers in my time that were coming into the beer industry, did not have any formal training. I was one of the very, very few that had any formal training. So I thought, what if we had a scholarship program and we could help our, our members? So I came up with, with little slogans like, um, Pink Boot Society was created to inspire, encourage, and empower women to advance their careers in the beer industry through education. So that's what we do. And that, that's been kind of our focus the whole time. So education was a big part of it. We tried the education on the consumer side, but it was too much of a distraction away from our core membership. And so um, we, I'm the co-founder of barleysangels.org. And so that is the consumer branch, but we spun that off and that is operated completely separately now. But that is the consumer branch. And that's a worldwide network of women's consumer beer clubs that have an education focus. And I don't know if there's any Barley's Angels chapters in the Australia or not. There I know there was at there one was stage. One. Kiralee got it kicked Kiralee it off. started one. Right. And I don't know where that is now, but certainly... Any of your listeners that happen to be consumer-focused or happen to be consumers and they want to start a Barley's Angels chapter, they should go to barleysangels.org and get the help they need and, and join the join the club. I mean, I had other kind of, uh, you know, the brewer's art and advancing uh, the image of beer in society through the brewer's art and things like that. But we really had to focus on our core thing, which was encouraging, inspiring, and empowering women in the beer industry to advance their careers through education. So I thought, well, how are we going to do that? We don't have any money. Yeah, we're going to somehow be in an organization. And I thought, well, we need to become a charity. And in the U.S., a nonprofit charity is called a 501c3. And 
now it would be much easier because there are Pink Boots Society members who are attorneys and lawyers, and they know how to do that. And on a pro bono basis, they would volunteer their time to help us. But back then, we didn't have those. You know, we had some packaging managers and brewers and beer writers and maltsters and hop growers. We didn't have any beer-focused lawyers. So luckily, my mother-in-law had worked with grants a little bit, so she helped me write the 98-page application. And I had a full-time career all this time, so it was very, very slow going because I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm an artist. I'm a beer artist. I am a creator. I created Pink Boot Society, but I am not an admin. And after nine years of running it myself and taking all my free time to run it, I fired myself. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> then I built then I built the Brewmaster's Cottage. We could talk about that another time. But at any rate, um, uh, that's what Pink Boots focuses on. Um, we can't really use the word networking because that's a trade organization. However, networking is something that takes place when people get into a room together. So whenever there's a meeting of people in person, there's networking. There was a great story on the news earlier this week about the Pink Boots uh, brew, um, brew Day. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that really stood out to me and rankled a little bit was I think the journalist referred to it as a women's support network or something like that that almost sounded like a, a shelter as opposed to... Um, and uh, again, like, yeah. was I picking up on the wrong word or is that how you would char- characterise it? We are there to support each other, but really... Um it's just to be pro-women. I mean, some, some women don't need support. I did not. I didn't, I didn't create Pink Boot Society for women like me who don't need to have that kind of support and encouragement and inspiration and things like that. I built Pink Boot Society for the members we have now. And there's over 2,000 of us worldwide. And there's 76 chapters in about 40 or 50 countries. So, um, and I did not build Pink Boots Society by myself. I I call myself a co-creator. My Pink Boots business card says founder and co-creator. Because one person cannot do this. It takes a team. It takes a village to build something as amazing as Pink Boots Society. So to say that there were a support network, that touches on aspects of it but I didn't it's not just for that I mean we want to inspire encourage which that's the support thing and empower so we go way beyond just the support thing what are the biggest issues facing women in the beer industry in 2018 pink boot society will continue to exist until it's no longer needed and then it will go away I feel it's still needed until there is gender parity in the highest echelons of leadership within the beer industry. And that includes brewery owners and brewmasters and those of the higher titles. So we don't have 50-50 or gender parity for those kinds of positions. So I think that we still have a long way to go. Um, I don't expect to see that in my lifetime, so my estate will be given to Pink Boots Society to help it with its cause. Um, Where I live in Portland, Oregon, uh, is an amazing place. The Brewers Association comes out with its statistics every year, and one of the statistics they had on consumerism in the beer industry this year was that in Portland, Oregon, more women than men are beer drinkers. And I saw that uh, reported this week. It's, it's pretty awesome. I like to think maybe it's because 
I'm there and Pink Boots Society really got started there. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sure there's part of it. Because also we're good a, role models. And it's a forward-thinking community as it well. Is. But it's still it not is. typical, is it? It's not typical, but it shows you what could be possible anywhere in the world. And there are places that are way more male-dominated in, in the beer industry than Australia or the United States. I've heard from members in Germany um, that are students at the brewing institutions, and they're so ingrained with the male thing that they'll tell their female students to go get the cups of coffee for their male classmates. I mean, whoa! <laughs> and, and, and and I guess we're not talking about one industry when we start breaking it down uh, because I'm, I'm in my late 40s and I, I grew up at a certain time but I've got uh, two teenage daughters and it's incredibly exciting to see their worldview is completely different from what 16-year-olds I grew up uh, yep. were and, and, and that's great. But mm-hmm. when I go to uh, and host corporate beer tastings, if, if you're in a room with over 40s, very few women will even come to the tasting because they're not beer drinkers. Um, We're changing that, though. That, that, that is I changing. Mean, and I, it, I mean, even with the older the older women that are over 40, yeah. I really feel that we are. Um, sir, let me give you a little, a little story that I heard about five years ago. And this is an awesome story. About five years ago, I learned that Nielsen, who does these surveys, did a survey and found out that young women between the ages of 18 and 34 preferred beer over wine. Yes. And in fact, they called in Colorado, I heard this anecdote, that the young women in that age demographic call wine mom juice because their baby boomer mothers are wine drinkers. And I thought, that's priceless because if you're out with your girlfriends... And they're ordering beer and you order a glass of wine and they turn to you and say, why are you drinking that mom juice? Your second beverage will not be a glass of wine. Yes. So there's peer pressure with the younger women, at least in that little neighborhood in Colorado, to drink beer. And I thought that was that was wonderful. But that's And that's the step change I'm talking about. Right. And you almost need to talk to different demographics in a different way because, and I've my trick is uh, whenever I do a corporate beer tasting, I always make sure that it includes uh, cheese or chocolate or something else because then I'll find that female partners will come for the cheese and then get really excited about the beer. Mm-hmm. So they may not come for the beer because if you're over 40, you're used to beer being blokey and segregationist right. and things. And, you won't, and you've also think that beer is Beck's, Stella, Heineken, 4X. Fiz- fizzy yellow beer. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so if you can get them to come along and try it, there's half the battle. Whereas anyone under 30 has grown up in a post-craft beer world and so they've been exposed to it from a much younger age and they've got the full flavours. Absolutely. I think that, you know, Pink Boot Society is are really good role models. Um, we're out there. Um, if the breweries are smart, they show co- showcase their women employees because think about it. Every bloke who wants to drink beer is probably already doing it. Where is there's so many more craft breweries opening. Where are they going to get their customers from if every bloke is already drinking beer? So what you need is you got to get the women across. It's called stomach share. What are you going to put in your stomach? You're going to put coffee, kombucha, beer, wine, spirits, whatever. Let's have it be beer. So um, considering that women are 50 generally 51% of the adult population, there's a lot of room for growth by attracting women beer consumers. I haven't really seen very much of the big national breweries um, 
trying to target that properly. I mean, they might make oh, a pink they, beer they could, yeah, they, or they something. Yeah, they pink beer out all the time or make the that, uh, packaging that's, that's, more attractive. That's got to work, surely. I mean, that that's like pinkifying, you know, a tool set. I, you've seen these, the pink hammer and the pink saw. That's kind of goofy. Oh, there's low-carb beer because low-carb beer is not you, – you don't have to worry about your figure when you drink low-carb beer. Anyway, well, <laughs> well, some, um, you know, um, some some – People who don't know the story behind the Pink Boots idea, how it got its name from these pink boots my mother-in-law had given me, um, they think that they're wondering is are we pinkifying it by calling it the Pink Boots Society? No, this was way before everything got pinkified. In 2007, the Susan G. Crumman Breast Cancer uh, Research um, fundraising stuff didn't own the color pink. Pink was just light red, and in fact. Pink, in historically, pink is a warrior's made. color. Because in ancient Rome, the god of war was Mars. And if you wanted your little boys to grow up tough, you put them in light red, which was pink. And if you wanted your little boys to grow up to be warriors, they wore pink. So pink is a warrior's color. And people don't know that. They don't remember that. They just think everything's pinkified. And, I mean, I have really tiny little nieces and nephews. And for the little nieces, I, in the last few years it's become harder and harder to find blue yellow green clothes to buy them i never buy pink clothes because for the little nieces because i know everybody else is gonna buy pink and they're darling but um holy cow let's put the girls in some other colors you know pink boots is because boots are the ubiquitous piece of safety equipment that every brewer wears and pink is because when I went on my road trip in 2007, I kind of felt like, wow, when I walk in the door of all these breweries where they've invited me, but they've never met another woman brewer before, I am representing my gender. And as soon as I open my mouth, I'm going to be one of the boys because I speak beer talk. That's my language. And I thought, how am I going to represent my gender and remind people that I am not one of the boys? My mother-in-law gave me these pink boots. And so that's how that's where the name came from. Now, one thing that just occurred to me when you said that is uh, we haven't come back to that issue of that, that idea of male-female communication. The oh, right. So let's talk about that. So one of the reasons I wanted that first meeting at the Craft Brewers Conference in San Diego in 2008 to just have women there is, as I said, we've never had a room full of just estrogen in the beer industry ever. And we needed to know what it felt like. And so um, and I needed to get volunteers to help me. And I have a natural male communication pattern, which means that I speak in statements. And women, what I found, speak in questions. That's kind of the difference. And when I was speaking in statements all the time, the other women felt I was really, really bossy. And I realized, well, if I'm going to form a coalition here, i got to learn how to speak less bossy. And that means I need to speak in questions more. And I will give you an example. See, there are three brewers all men standing around together and one of them is pouring his IPA for the other two and they start discussing it and one brewer says what do you think of my IPA and the next brewer says how many IBU are in it and the first guy says 70 and the next guy goes well my IPA has 80 IBU and the next guy says well mine has 90 IBU so you get a little bit when, when the communication pattern is statements, you get a little bit of one-upmanship. That it's just naturally content. starts to happen. Yeah. So let's say you have three women brewers standing together, and one of them pours her IPA and asks the other two women, what do you think of my IPA? The first one says, how many IBUs are in it? 
and she says 70 IBUs. And then the next one says, do you think that's the right amount? How would you do it differently next time? So it's a completely different conversation. And those are just examples of, of the communication style, but really the amount of um, sharing that can go on when you change your communication style to a more feminine form. And what's interesting, I know men with feminine communication forms um, and, uh, and women with masculine communication forms. But, and that's just through my experience. I mean, I, I had a crash course in communication when I started Pink Boot Society because I was not used to speaking like that at all. And I can speak both languages now. If there was one thing that men in the brewing industry should be aware of to make a positive change uh, you know, for the industry, not for women, but for the industry to make it more inclusive, it, it can, can you, is that too simplistic to try and come up with one issue that can get us all started on, on, on making that change? It's a little simplistic, but um, let me give you a conversation I had recently. I was in Portland, and we had a, um, a Pink Boots panel, and so this was for uh, Portland Beer Week. There's a lot of events. We had a Pink Boots panel, and we had all the Pink Boots ladies uh, had a tap takeover, so they brought their beers. Their beers were on tap, and we had a lot of men um, attending this, and, um, and these were younger women, so it's kind of cool because I'm like the older generation of Portland, and then there's a mid-generation. Now, these are the younger ones even, the really brand new ones, and they got to be on a panel and get asked questions about how, technical questions, you know, not just, you know, what did your mother say when you told her what you wanted to be a brewer, something lame like that. They got asked real questions, technical questions, about how they do certain things in the brewery. And um, afterwards, people were just milling about, chatting with each other, and this fellow who's a friend of mine I mean they're all friends of mine and he's a brewer and he said that um he has this woman brewer but she seems a little bit timid and so we started talking about this communication pattern thing I told him about that and I said well have have you told her that you're proud of her and that she's doing a good job um and no, he hadn't really thought about that. And so there's ways maybe that we're not encouraging the younger women. And so they hold back. They're a little bit tentative because they're, they're waiting for something. And they may not, you know, they may not know how to express that, uh, that they need a little more feedback. Um, and, you know, they're not going to ask questions, how am I doing every day? Because that looks like you're weak. Um, one of the women on the panel said that that she had a coworker, and neither of them knew really a lot about what they were doing. But she would always ask questions, and he would kind of sidle up so he could hear the answers, but he would never ask questions. And so the management perception was that the guy knew more already. And he got promoted, and she didn't, even though she actually knew more because she had been asking all the right questions whether that fellow was around to overhear or not. Yep. So just because someone's asking a lot of questions doesn't mean they don't know. They're actually learning a lot. And if someone's not asking questions, you should be a little bit suspect that they may not know as much as you think they do. Don't assume they know things. So um, so my conversation with this fellow, I mean, I'm just thinking about my, my assistant. I challenge her a lot. Um, her first brew day uh, was basically what I call pantomime brew day, 
where we use cold water and we go through an entire brew day. Like, oh, we're boiling now. I mean, we're not, but we do it cold with cold water. But we fill everything up and we move things around and we turn on the oxygen when we need to. And we do and we, we move the hoses and we clamp them up and then we stop for a second and say, okay, what's happening now during this process? So we did the entire brew day and my SOPs are, are visual. As I said, I'm an artist. So they're diagrams uh, more than just words because you can look at a diagram and see where are, am I visually, whereas other words you have to really translate it in your brain. So we did all that and then the next brew day... Um, we had a guest brewer who happened to be a friend of hers from fermentation school. And I said, okay, you're brewing with him and um, you're in charge and I'll be in the other room if you have any questions. So I kind of threw her into it, but I, you know, I worked with her a little bit by that point and I, I felt confident she could do it. And I also knew she's not going to hurt herself. She's been through it. She's got the diagrams and, and I go in and check on them about every 15 minutes, you know, any questions, any questions, um, but kind of, Forcing women a little bit beyond their comfort zone um, works. And um, and then there came a point, and she had only brewed one collaboration brew while she was in school. How can you graduate from a four-year degree in fermentation only have brewed once at school? I don't know, but that's what happened. So now she had brewed a couple of times, and so she knew the ropes and everything. And I said, okay, you get to design a recipe. Um, and so... Uh, Oh, I don't know how to do that. So I kind of walked her through with it, and um, and I said, "Well, let, let's let's have you do a porter. Okay, let's look at a previous porter recipe. Okay, let's take this color malt and multiply it by the number of pounds, and you get kind of a factor there. But now let's take a slightly different color malt and divide it by that color and see how many pounds you would need to get to achieve the about the same color. Let's use the same amount of base malt." I said, okay, why don't you put together a recipe just with these kind of sketchy uh, descriptions on purpose because I wanted her to stretch. Yep. And so she came up with a recipe, and I said, okay, now you're going to let your intuition, which intuition quite often is your experience, you know, your experience of having brewed for the last several months, um, you're going to sleep on this, and your intuition is going to tell you what's wrong or what's right and what needs to be changed. And that's just based on the experience you've gotten over the last few months. So the next morning, I said, how do you feel about it? You know, you slept on it. Did anything like wake you up in the middle of the night going, oh, my God, that was the wrong hop or that's the wrong amount of hops or whatever. Um, and so we discussed what changes she felt she needed to make and then sleep on it another night. And then anything wake you up? Anything come back to haunt you? No, nope, no. Nope. Felt good. OK, brew it. And it ended up being a little bit more like a stout. So we called it accidental stout. Um, but it was a delicious beer. Yep. And um, that's how I train brewers for recipe development. And so I said, okay, um, now you're going to brew that same recipe three times, about once a quarter. And you get to change one and only one thing. If it's the wrong hop, change the type of hop. If it's the wrong amount of hops, change the amount. But then you can't change the type. If you need to change the amount of chocolate malt in it, you get to change the amount of chocolate malt, but you can't change it from chocolate malt to killed coffee malt, that would be its own separate change. You get to change one thing. And so with the brewers I've taught recipe design over the years, three recipes, and I'd have them do research on the style that they wanted to make with making the first one and then one change for the second one, one change for the third one. That third one was 
perfect for style. But then you really understand what the nuances of each change are. I see brewers like they'll change six things in a recipe the next time. And it's like, how will you know what <laughs> what impact each of those changes made? You know, how how will you be able to use that knowledge to to fix things next time? You won't be able to back engineer it. So any rate, that worked. So at any rate, your question about how do we encourage women um, is maybe by challenging them just a little bit, as long as it's safe and you feel confident that they should be able to do it. And you've discussed it enough and, and they've asked enough questions that there's no doubts about safety and procedures and, and things like that. Um, challenge them a little bit and then praise them. Say, say you did a great job. You know, I'm really proud of you. I mean, that goes a long way when you tell people that you're proud of them. And, and a lot of guys are too tough to say that. I was going to say that that could actually cut across gender boundaries, you know. Right. And so this fellow, I said, have you told her? I said, what kind of progress has she made? Oh, she's doing really great, but she's kind of tentative. Have you told her she's doing really great? Well, I, I really haven't, I guess. I said, have you told her? I said, are you proud of, of the progress she's made? He's like, hell yeah. I said, have you told her that you're proud of her and the progress she's made? No, I haven't really done that. I said, don't, don't assume. I said, I said, she's going to gain confidence from your confidence, but you got to let her know you're confident. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener, and thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. And we look forward to another conversation next week. Mm-hmm.